Hello, listeners. Once upon a time, there was a podcast. And in that podcast, there were games of all shapes and sizes being reviewed by podcasters of all shapes and sizes. They were then forced to battle in a playoff bracket at the end of the season where all the games lived happily ever after. Well, and then what happened? Well, to explain, I'm your storytime narrator of the podcast, Scott Berger. And my podcast co-hosts gathered around, eagerly waiting for me to turn the page. This is a this is this is your skip button. The savior of the day, <laughs> Will Wright. <laughs> Glad to be here. And wow. I'm a man who read all the dialogue, Colin, whose arms are made out of flames. And lastly, it's me, Bandrew Kindman, <laughs> Gorgon hey. Fighter, and um, uh, I already stole the man body modification arms. enthusiast. <laughs> Uh, today we're talking our uh, wholesome Paper Mario XCOM game, Wildermyth, released in early access in November 2019 and 1.0 in June 2021. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see that this game was a PC exclusive uh, on Steam and Itch. I 100% for sure would have bet money that you could find this on a Nintendo console somewhere. But no, apparently that's coming on their dev roadmap pretty far down the list. Uh, but possibly this year, 2024, maybe, question mark. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for, for a console release coming soon. Uh, this was developed and published by Austin, Texas-based World Walker Games, which is this is their debut uh, game that they've put out. And this rolls in on our data set at the 65th most popular roguelike game with 15,899 total reviews. Uh, Will, how many comic book pages is it going to take for you to describe Wildermyth in one sentence? Oh my, well, that's uh, that's something that's going to span many campaigns, I think. I, I'm not sure I could really put it into words in one sentence, uh, but I can, like just like this. It's a XCOM that has a ton of narrative between things that are interesting. It's not XCOM, it's SCOM, which stands for Storycom. <laughs> That's okay. That's another way of putting it. Yeah, um, but uh, definitely, definitely steals a lot from uh, from what, or I should say, borrows the same mechanics as a lot of what XCOM does. But all the things where you're on the in between your missions, you're you're basically spending your time clicking next, 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 ne and so on and so forth because it's just dialogue and dialogue. And they do have like little pictures for the dialogue, but it's just a lot of it. That's my, in the nutshell, I guess, fantasy. I don't know what else is there to say. It's a fantasy theme, classical archetypes, um, good versus evil, that whole nonsense. I was kind of surprised to see, well, I think like we knew going into this this game that it was something like XCOM, but I was kind of shocked at like the overworld, like, uh, I guess, overworld management aspects of it. And I guess in, in the new, quote unquote, new XCOM, uh, you know, you have a little bit of like base building management type stuff, but in this you have much more of like you're going out into the world and like clearing monsters off the map and stuff like that, which I thought was a neat surprise. I guess I didn't really know much about this game going into it other than like grid based tactical combat and uh, it won the coin flip from last episode. But uh, that and I guess like the uh, the paper, the paper standee art uh, really stands out to me from from like a first impression perspective of like yeah this I mean, is it's, it's not my favorite art style but it is very distinctive so i think i kind of like the art style a lot in this game it, it grew on me it grew <laughs> I, on me I, as i you like played it. i like the art style in stills but in motion it's not my favorite hmm. um, but i i think the art 
the art style that they settled on is pretty nice and thematically appropriate. And it's also like very, the, the way that everything's so modular and that you can get all these different scenes is pretty clever, I would say. Pretty groovy. I like the art style for the monsters more than I do for the people, I think. Like the people are kind of cartoonish because they're cartoons and the monsters are kind of cartoonish, but they're like weird monsters. They're, they're, I mean, I'm going to say right off the bat that I appreciated that, uh, you, you like, Will, you were saying it's like, you got your fantasy stuff, but the, it, it's not really the, the monsters are pretty different, um, from like, there's no orcs, there's no goblins. you like your, your base level, uh, bad guys is, is Gorgons. And they're like pretty strange kind of creatures. I mean, and then you're fighting, I guess there's like the cultists and stuff, but then the Thrix or whatever they are is like weird magic alien things. So I really meant uh, about your crew. Your crew is a, a mm. warrior, archer, and mm. sort of a mage. And so that's kind of like a traditional. Yeah, I guess that's true. There. Sure, or at least sure. that's, Which, that's how it starts I... off at least. Oh, <laughs> cool. Well, maybe you have significantly more hours. What, what uh, fancy new... Um like, you know, 3.5 third party supplement, like classes are we talking about that you encounter? <laughs> well, Ooh, the, I mean, the, the uh... glass finisher uh, and <laughs> the, the bolt uh, loader. Oh, that's, it's you know, just a reskin of a, of a gunslinger. Um, what, what else is there aside from the, the standard fantasy classes? Well, I think that's it in terms of classes, but like it, what I mean in terms of like, they, the people start out pretty aggressively generic, but by the end of the tutorial campaign thing that I was doing, and I think that I think we all did the same campaign to start. Uh, but at the end of it, people were looking pretty, pretty like jacked up on like super items and like weird biological like infestations or like magical infestations in their body and like uh, wolf augmentations and things like that. So uh, mm. I think the game definitely grew into being uh a unique kind of experience, but it definitely starts off as like almost as generic of a fantasy experience as you can kind of get. But I feel like maybe after 10 or 15 minutes, you start to get the idea of like, okay, this is how things are kind of progressing in this sort of divergence takes hold. So I, th I think like to start off with, we all did the same, uh, God, how do you pronounce this? Uh, I got to mispronounce something here on, on the podcast age of Ulstrix, we all did the Age of Ulstrix campaign. Is that right? Yeah, the, the Gorgon. Who's Ulstrix? He's the 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 blue guy with the 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 spear. Oh, the, the, the blue guy! Right, right, right. The spear that I gave to Colin, and then he promptly um, retired and took the spear with him. <laughs> Wait, really? I did, yeah, it didn't occur I... to me that that would <laughs> would happen. Oh, war! <laughs> I mean, the game gave me a warning, so you know it's my fault. I was just like, no, the spear. Uh, I needed to defeat the the Mega Gordon. Uh, Gordon. I needed right, to, well, I've to obviously given fields. away. I, I've given away the fact that I too uh, gave up on the narrative uh, pretty quickly. Yo, look, just for my money, I think it's I think it's a pretty cool and admirable thing to have all this like sort of like randomly generated and like shuffled stuff. And I and the writing that I did slow down to actually read, I thought was like pretty good and pretty clever and pretty interesting. But there's just too much of it. <laughs> like I, I, I yeah. want to after I finish a run of a, a rogue like be like, uh, I want a quirky story to tell. Be like, yeah, but they met at this village that got attacked, and then they, you know, uh, on their way to go investigate the magic cave, they found uh, a cat uh, that had been abandoned by a witch. It was a witch's familiar, and it's like, and that's it. I want like one sentence. Colin found a cat, and he walked around with a cool spear. 
uh which real quick should be mentioned that of course in our first run we all just you know made our party the the members of the podcast so you know uh but i want to be able to say yeah then he found this cool cat and uh it was a fun time but instead i was treated to like 40 panels of story (laughs) about the backstory of the cat it's like yeah we gotta I remember when Mass Effect 3 came out, I scoffed at the idea that there was a uh, there was like a setting, a storyline setting. It's like, how much story do you want in your Mass Effect mm. 3 experience? And there was an option to be like, nah, you know, not very much. I want the action. And I scoffed at that initially, but I wish so much there had been a setting like that where it just like gave me a quarter of the of the stuff to read. Yeah, give uh, me the summary version. Indeed. It was yeah, just, it like... felt very long-winded. And like as problem... a result, I skipped a lot of it. Yeah, I missed that... out as a result. The, the problem with it was, it wasn't even necessarily that it was long. It was that it was long and you got like one choice inside of it. Hmm. Like if it was like a couple panels and then you make a choice, a couple panels and then you make another choice, a couple panels and you make a third choice. And then you get something based off those choices and your characters change somewhat or whatever. And then you're on to the next battle. It'd be different. But it was like, yeah, 40 panels, like a real story. Uh, and you make one choice at the end of like, take the cat or don't take the cat. Which is oh so uh, sorry. How many of us got the cat? Scott got encounter? the cat. I think Scott yeah. Burgers. I think I I got the cat. I also took the the spear. And spoiler alert. Uh, I I wound up having uh Robert use the spear of the main boss to kill the main boss at the end of the campaign, thinking, "Aha! This is gonna be like some kind of super cool Easter egg or something." Uh, but no, it was just like, "Yep, he's dead." Ah, like, darn. Well, I, I kind of expected it to be like, well, it's the campaign writing is probably too bespoke for for this to be like, oh, you killed him with his own weapon sort of thing. Um, I guess that's its own sort of emergent story is like me thinking like, oh, I should I should use this because like it might unlock a thing in the story. But that itself like is the story that emerges out of it. I do have a bullet point in my Google Doc of like, like these kinds of stories that we get out of uh, these very procedural games versus things that are written and tell you the story. It's, I guess, kind of like a a um, show versus tell element to it. And when, Colin, you were talking about just like so many panels to go through, I was wondering like, how much better would this game be if there was almost no text in it? And it was very much just like the cool, the cool art and just like panel, panel, and then like, your party's coming up and they see a thing and you see like their reactions to it. Would that have been, would that have been more streamlined or better? I think, I mean, I know that Will's answer is yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think that you need to go either one direction or the other. Hmm. You need either more involvement in the choices or the stories need to be shorter. Um, Cause they're not, they're like each little story is like fine enough in its own right, but it's not, deep enough that i want to like i wouldn't read it if it were just a book and i can go read a book that's good there are many many books out there there are many <laughs> podcasts i can listen to a DD podcast and basically just have someone act out these stories to me mm-hmm. like very well so like i guess it's fun that your character is in it but they're not you're not playing as them in these little stories you get basically one little choice and like every once in a while they'll be like Haha, ha. A- Andrew and uh wh- wait, was it Andrew and Robert are now rivals. Yeah, we're like they were like uh one of Scott and Andrew were like, "Well, it's too bad you're not a girl." 
we get along so great. It's like, okay, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> funny. Like, that's a funny comment. I lament that every because, morning. Because, like, uh, it's because it was between two people that I know, and I named all the people after people I know. But, like, I didn't get to direct that, and mm-hmm. I didn't get to shape, I, I wanted to actually shape the people more than I was in. Like, I wanted every choice, I wanted them to be able to make more choices and have those choices affect their, like, personality characteristics on the back end you basically make those choices when you make the character and you never interact with them again it kind of affects the the story uh options when you get the single story choice um but not that much well there Mm -hmm. were two modifiers for every person i'm not sure if you um you looked at like you could randomize you couldn't actually select this property for whatever reason but it was like snarky and like the snarky like romantic you can change those oh Oh, there was an option to do that. I'm guessing. Yeah, if you go into the character and you click personality at the bottom, you can. Oh, them by... so it wasn't under the the menu with everything. Yeah, else. you okay. can you can 100. Um, you, I'm not sure if you can do. There's like the brave, like the the hooks or something. You can change them, but I, I'm not sure if you, there was something in there that you, I couldn't figure out how to change. But I didn't try that hard. Yeah, well, I, can... I wouldn't. What we deduce, or what I deduce though, is that like those two, like those two words, basically determine how your character works in every story, and so they always yeah. in every like sort of like story that they tell. And it looks like they have a whole bunch of authors because they always put the author like in the top, and Which they're is like, neat. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, well, in this story, they, they whoever is going to be snarky like takes this role, and they just kind of like just push the characters into position to play out um, this kind of preset thing. And I think you're right, Colin. Like the 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 customization like really did a lot for me in the beginning because if there wasn't like the ability to make all of you and to have the story that it's like saying you know scott's saying this and i'm saying that like if it wasn't for that i wouldn't have paid attention at all and i'm so glad that in almost all games there's always a mohawk available for me to like style my dudes because i tell you what like yeah this this is a the, it defines me and so they also always have bald man with beard <laughs> yeah, let's and actually, yeah, we should mention that like the uh yeah, the level of options uh for character customization is is really good. And I feel like just about you know anybody can sit down and like make their circle of friends. So it's good that uh, there's inclusive character customization options, but there are no horns, which is an issue if you're trying to remake a DD party, uh like Colin yes. was doing at one point. <laughs> it's almost like um Andrew, you missed out sorely on our very lowly uh, rated episode of the game Low Magic Age, but Mm -hmm. there's like, there's an idea out there of an intersection between like customization and aspects from that game and customization and aspects from this game that will make some kind of like unholy super beast of like D&D plus uh, like procedural narrative generation that doesn't doesn't quite exist in either game. I think this game obviously does it better, but um, but yeah, you would be able to get your devil horns there. I'm pretty sure. Um, right. I was I was glad that I could uh, make a make a person with bright red skin and uh, <laughs> as the uh, the Cavill Kincaid sur- surrogate. But uh, thank goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, also, the, uh, yeah, teeth leading uh, cowboy. Right, exactly. Oh, very so important. for for the three of us who are in the same D and D group, our <laughs> next set of adventures make worse all of our D&D characters, which of course. is slightly more difficult. Like, you can't actually make a dwarf, even though it has, like, the, you know, like, human stat gets these things. I'm like, there could have been a dwarf stat, maybe in the DLC, eventually. Um, but it is hard to make a, a yeah. I feel like this game would be a good, like, pseudo-intro into, like, D&D-style stuff. Like, if someone has, like, never experienced D&D things before, and, like, 
you could kind of guess that they would like this sort of game. I could see this being like a gateway drug into that for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess we kind of talked about the the warrior hunter mystic uh, classes uh, that you have in this game. Uh, one thing that this game kind of does differently than other games, your warrior, your hack and slash melee guy, your hunter, your bow from a distance guy, kind of what you would expect. Your mystic, though, very different, I think, where instead of using magic or scrolls that you have on your person to launch things at people, you infuse with objects on the map. So in a in a combat encounter, you know, you have your XCOM grid uh, in this kind of a small space of like a farming village or you're battling through caves and whatnot. And there's uh very much like pop-up book scenery around of like, this is a, a rock and over here is a tree and over here is a wooden gate. And I thought this was very interesting about this game where you, you, inf you cast a thing to interact with that object from a distance and you are now like tethered to it. And now you can say, aha, now I can launch rocks out of that pile of rocks at monster. Um, I, yeah, I just thought that was like a very interesting and different aspect. And uh, Will's uh, son in the game uh, who succeeded his wolfman uh, being that retired, I wound up turning him into like a mage tank. And like his idea was like he would infuse with like a whole bunch of objects like walking around the map and become like this unstoppable like melee mage. And that looked like worked pretty well. And I'm like, OK, this is this is an interesting take on the magic formula. Um, oh, yeah. And there's all sorts of like cool interactions. So I imagine you took the ability where it's like, oh, the damage taken by the mage actually gets routed to the objects instead. And like there's a bunch of different modifications. You can unlock like more infusion things. And yeah, I, I agree. And it's only striking me just now how kind of fresh that spellcasting take is and how oftentimes when I hear about like, oh, you know, they're coming out with a new D&D spellcaster or they're coming out with a new Pathfinder subclass. A lot of the time it feels like they're kind of grasping at straws and it's like, all right, do we really need the, you know, the, the crystal ball reading juggler like <laughs> speciality? Like it always kind of feels like, I don't know if that's like a standard fantasy archetype, but this felt like, yeah, interacting, like using magic to interact with uh, one surroundings felt like a, a kind of cool and natural uh, sorcery uh, ma new magical thing and of mm -hmm. course all the different objects have different ability like yeah you can explode wooden objects or you can um like grapple in, in yeah grapple stuff i forget entangle what have mm -hmm. you and yeah, or um, throw boulders as you said i got a lot of use out of the throwing boulders and the discus approach yeah was really nice and i i have to agree like i think that the the magic system of infuse and all that stuff like Unique, creative, and uh, cool. Um, what it does, though, however, is um, you have like up to a five-person squad, um, and you can separate your, you know, eventually you can have more players and send them out and doing different things. We can talk about the overworld in a second, but like in your five-person squad, you basically don't want to have two mages. Like that was my conclusion because mm. there are oftentimes not enough objects and to <laughs> interfuse with, and so like I mean that's your limiting factor. And often, like I, I think the splinter salvo was one of the moves where you have to be infused with two different wood objects, and then you would basically blast them in towards the middle, and that was like the biggest AOE in the in the entire game and uh you could just wipe an entire map in one move with your with your if you had your infuses done right but like but then you have like essentially nothing left then you have like little pieces of crap that you can like you know pin them to the ground or whatever but like they do very little damage after that so because it's important to note after you use those like that uses up the scenery on the map and like yeah. it makes the map like bigger as a result but you also it's like your ammo for your mage yep yeah i i mean i'm not sure if that is a 
like a huge downside. It's definitely a thing to consider if you're like trying to build a party over time. Um, you that maybe you want to have like a two to one ratio of the other cl two classes to the the mystics. Yeah. Like you don't want to over index on them. Um, but I, I really liked how it 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 forced you to interact with the scenery of the the map a lot more. And they did a very good job of the maps, um, in, including the scenery, including like stuff around there um, that, you know, you actually are interacting with it rather than just being like, okay, I could replace this with a cube that is of full height or a cube that is of half height, because the only thing I care about this is whether or not it's giving me full cover or half cover, which is a lot of the tactics kind of games. Like, I don't care that this is an ice cream truck. I care that it gives me full cover. There's this like, well, you know, it's it's a full height stack of stone, but I'm probably going to blow this stone up immediately. So I shouldn't use it for cover because he's not going to be covered by it the next time because I need it for the mage. It's like, yeah, okay. I thought it, it forced you to interact with the map in a way that I found to be like a rewarding loop. Doubly so when the monsters invade in, uh, God, what are they called? Incursions. Yes, that's it. So on the... I guess we've we've talked a lot about uh, about the game, but or we've talked a lot about the story. But our the story itself begins with monsters invading your your tiny little village that you start in, and I guess your call to action is let's go fight the monsters, right? It's yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Go where needed. I think that's the theme in the game is that like what, what the the need and and the responsibility are what's important. You fill the need, and so mm -hmm. monsters attack. Now you have a need, <laughs> and. Uh, after after said monster attack and you're successful, uh, you come to this overworld where you have uh, a bunch of, well, you have like your starting little sector and you have adjacent sectors and you're like, okay, I'm going to go out and explore this one and see what's around. And when you do that, that takes time. And in the upper right corner, you have a little clock that ticks down for making the monsters more dangerous over time. And you can kind of like spend... Uh, legacy points uh meta currency in some regard to to dampen that down a little bit which i thought was an interesting um trade-off mechanism like oh do i want to use these things like craft better gear or do i want to avoid this really shitty monster that's about to come out um i thought it was a pretty good uh design like brain wrinkling moment there um but after i don't know i got i think it's like 300 days or so like once a in-game year monsters will invade from some part of the map and i i don't know if like is there a lose condition like if they invade to a certain do you have a hometown that you're trying to protect i wasn't super clear on that i don't i don't really know i i thought the incursions were a pretty I, the over, overworld as a whole and that whole mechanic around the time passing like all that stuff i thought it was kind of lame <laughs> i didn't uh <laughs> really? and, and, like, maybe i needed to turn the difficulty up but like yeah having done the campaign, the, the tutorial, the first campaign and the second campaign, which is like five like submissions or whatever, like I think I got a pretty good sense in 16 hours. And uh, yeah, like uh, even with the increased difficulty, like maybe it needed maybe maybe it needed to be maximum, but it felt like I never had any trouble conquering every single thing and getting all like turning after you after you beat a tile, you could basically spend more time there to get items out of it or kind of advance the your ability to get some um, currency um, to upgrade your, your your gear. And I just like I just got everything every single time. And like it didn't like it didn't feel like I was making any strategic balancing decisions around. Oh, uh, well, if I go down there all the way to the bottom right of the map, then, uh, you know, then I won't have uh, then, then they'll have more upgrades and then I won't be able to beat them. It just never felt like it was a super strong pressure. Um, but I don't know how you guys felt about that stuff. It did feel 
alarmingly easy at first. And I beat the whole first campaign on like the normal, the normal difficulty mode, I think without losing anyone. Well, I'll, I say that. And then I do remember a couple times where like one of the characters was about to die and you have this option of like, well, you can either like have them die or you can have them retire from battle and they'll go back to a, a nearby town to lick their wounds and be out of combat for a little bit. And I think I did that once or twice. So I guess technically they died. Which is a very um, cool system for for the record. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, and then like a second campaign, I did I I did only I did three uh, only melee guys on the next difficulty up, and that, that was a big mistake because they just got pummeled to death. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've I've had plenty of people die like the true death because I it, I mean most of the time when the character reaches zero hit points, it gives you three options. They can either become maimed in some way. And like go back to the hometown and like rest up a bit. So it's like, oh, minus two hit points permanently out of seven. Um, you can with possible have, uh, limb modifications. With limb I had modifications, a, had, a, had a, yeah, yeah. a Captain Hook type situation happen. Uh, Scott my Burgers has an eye patch. Nice. Um, uh, you can have them actually die for real, and they give plus three um, armor to everyone. Or the option that I used two or three times, which is deal like three times what they normally could do in damage um which is often like the difference between if you're on that razor's edge and you're like this person is going to die and then i'm going to be down a person and then i'm going to be in a bad spot or i could have them do 19 damage and kill the hardest monster on the map it's like well robert the usurper you gotta die now because <laughs> i need you i really need you to kill this like giant worm creature thing that's got 14 hit points and it's going to take like four turns of people to kill um i thought the difficulty once i got the hang of it it, it was much easier but uh i got behind the difficulty curve a little early on that first intro map and it was hard hmm. like if you i lost i lost the um the prologue campaign and i had to re i had to go back and like start from a save and then i figured out that oh you just have to beat the gorgon and not actually kill all the monsters is the victory condition. And if you just target it all on that, uh, that's the way you can win. But like, because I had someone die early and then have to go back. And then I had two characters out there and then they've tried to fight some monsters. And it's like, well, two isn't not enough. And uh, then they both died. And then I had all three of my main characters uh, maimed. <laughs> and uh, then if you die a second time, you actually do die. They don't give you that option. They're just like, eh, do one measly hit point. And you can't then... just keep doing 19 damage uh, to no. every boss. Yeah. Darn. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree with Will's point of there was nothing to really keep you, like once you got ahead of the difficulty difficulty curve, there was nothing to keep you from outpacing. Hmm. Like it didn't feel like it was responding at all to your skill or party level. Um, and there was no other things that you could do. Like there's no leaderboard that I could be like, well, I'm going to push my luck so I can get extra points mm -hmm. on the leaderboard. Um, I just had an idea that would theme really well here. If like you're doing like way too good after the first or second missions of like your three thing campaign, it could have like a little story beat that pops up of like, ho, 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 you think you're doing pretty good, huh? Well, why don't you challenge me, super monster? And if like if you beat that guy, it like sets the difficulty level up a little higher without telling you so. Yeah. And yeah, like I feel like for a game that's so narrative, like so um, explicitly narrative driven that they could have some kind of narrative aspect to drive that 
um, difficulty rebalancing. But I guess like, you know, it's this game on its sleeve is very much like a a pop up storybook about magic for kids or I guess <laughs> for for all ages. <laughs> uh, and, you know, coming out of the gate with like your stupid Omega level roguelike difficulty and bashing children over the head with two by fours is what we expect from other games. Maybe not what this game is intending to do at the gate, but you do have that option to set it to painfully roguelike if you wish to. Including a Iron Man mode, uh, I believe. Where yeah, there's you, an Iron yeah. Man mode. Is it, is it, yeah, I forget what they call it, but it's an option, and I was not brave enough to do that, uh, <laughs> despite having embarked on some XCOM uh, Iron Man modes. Yeah, uh, the overmap I thought was interesting, and I like the idea of it. Um, like especially in like in Dungeons and Dragons tabletop type settings, I've seen a lot of attempts, including attempts done by myself, to like track the the enemy's progress as mm. the party is doing things. And I've never found like a super great or seen a super great system for that. And I appreciated that the this game captured that to some extent, but it doesn't seem to yeah, it doesn't it, it holds back a little bit. I never felt like really pressed uh on the overland map to like make smart decisions. It was always just like, yeah, I don't know, you know, I'll go towards the quest marker generally. And were, yeah, it, there was never like go here or here. Mm. That's an easy quest to make. Like you must <laughs> choose which one you will save and which which one you will die, Spider. Like Spider-Man well, style. Yeah, do, do we go the through the mines or, the or uh, I guess whatever I, the other option was? I guess here's the thing. Like I had I had an, uh, a moment there where in the campaign there was like um a moment where characters will get uh, an opportunity, I think it is. Like, this character has an opportunity for, like, a, a story thing specific to that character. And I think I had maybe six or seven characters, so I had, like, a full party of five and some two auxiliary guys. And Will had an opportunity to go and get another wolf limb attached to him. But at the same time, I already had my, my main party that was going around and, like, trying to get to the main quest marker. So I my either-or option was, well do I, what characters do I send out on like the main mission to go to this tile here and clear out and fight the monsters while Will and some other, you know, support person uh, go to another tile to advance his quest line. I think that was like kind of the extent of that decision-making because yeah, otherwise it was like, all right, the monsters are going to invade and I don't know, take over a town, but like it didn't feel like there was like a main keep or castle that like oh i have to defend this and if that falls the whole game is over deal yeah there's like yeah, your yeah, starting yeah. town i'm sure everyone's been real sad but... Very and, sad. <laughs> and maybe this is just because we played uh that first campaign but uh but will did you notice anything like majorly different between the first and second campaigns that you played or is it just like the no. difference in monsters really yeah the difference uh is a focus in the uh, of the five different varieties of monsters it just shifted the focus there's still like monsters from pretty much everything but like um that changed um it was like more kind of a mechanical monster um that was the theme and um yep the story was just all about defeating them or like joining them like at some point um you have some allies that could like um turn into the, these creatures i think there's some i don't i don't know i skipped so much of the plot i'm just like <laughs> yeah you were on my side now you're not okay cool do i kill you now or not like that's kind of my i'm just what's going on here i don't give a shit so so will well I, perhaps the third fourth or fifth campaign uh demand more overland you know strategy well i can tell you that the procedurally generated campaigns do not because oh. that's what I did as my second campaign. Because like, well, I feel like as the roguelike podcast, we should probably at least one of us should try the roguelike procedurally generated thing. And it's basically the same as the other game, but with the 
overarching story just not there. Oh, it's like, just it's not like th- what? clear three things and then go fight the tower and like ah oh, darn. There's like I was, some I was hoping... story kind of that goes like each each little chapter has its own like internal story. There's not really a story that through line that goes between all of them. It's like well after you know there were ten years of peace and then the black castle came and we had to go fight them in the castle. Like okay. Uh, uh, so, but, but what you, you're talking about are are the generic campaigns option, and yeah. so there's like the generic campaigns, which yeah, I mean, obviously pretty generic. Uh, and then you have your kind of like bespoke campaigns, mm-hmm. and I think you're like you're right about it being, I guess, I don't know, maybe a little less substantial, but I think the the roguiness that comes into here is is a little more subtle than we think, and I think it's one of these things that's like. This isn't a game uh, that you you crack open like a Bud Light and you just like slam through in in like five minutes. This is this game is a fine wine that must be enjoyed over a long evening and very slow. And obviously, I think there's some people out there that that will uh, ring ring with very well. Um, and I think that like the roguiness comes in from like character legacy, and this yeah. is a thing that we're like. You know, as Wolfman Will is being built out through this campaign, he retires and goes into the legacy box. And when you start up a new campaign, there's like a chance for Wolfman Will to show up as an NPC or a recruitable character in that campaign, which like, you know, if you have like a small set of stuff to play with at first, it seems, yeah, okay, like, eh, kind of not so many options to deal with. But I can totally see after maybe playing like, the first campaign, the second campaign, and you have this big roster of like people with histories and relationships between each other that like, oh boy, by that third campaign, things are really starting to get cooking. And if if you're well shaking his head. Well, that's because there is this... no relate like the once they become legacy and they get go into your next campaign, because I did absorb uh, a former character into my my second campaign. Um yeah, they're just like a they're a, they act as if they are a completely different person. They have no relationships with anyone. They never talk about mm. anything that happened in their past. Um, they just have an extra ability as, and and some equipment. That's basically the only thing that they bring to the table. And they don't get all of their abilities. They get one ability. You get to choose which one you want. Oh, so it's not like they are they are literally the character from before, just like dropped in a, a little older version. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Hmm. Well, well, I guess I had, like, uh, not not like unfortunately there weren't any references to the past campaign, but I did after beating like the the, the uh, campaign one, I jumped into like the fourth or fifth one, and Will, your character showed up, uh, the 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 mage the mage right, <laughs> and um, he was like the 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 father of like one of the new characters. But like they were estranged or something. And so that was sort of interesting. And then there was a flashback where it's like, oh, yes, when I was young, when I was young, Will. And I thought, oh, cool. Is that maybe going to reference the first campaign? And it didn't, unfortunately. Mm, <laughs> it referenced yeah. some other event, which maybe was in one of the campaigns I skipped. Um, but I don't know. It was neat to see uh, the old character show up. And it was like, oh, their their story continues. But it sounds like maybe it's not quite as meatier, as, as meaty as we would hope. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's the biggest surprise I have about this game is that how much I liked the combat and was underwhelmed by the story. Like I was very much expecting it to be the other way around. Like hmm. it sells itself as like the story engine, uh, story builder, and like the story stuff is just fine. Um, but the combat's surprisingly good. So like that's not what I was expecting out of it, and not not really why I chose it as 
one of the games to look at. Like I want, there's a, there's something that I want, which is Andrew was talking about, which is like the, the D and D simulator as game, but you don't need to be the DM and you don't need your friends. You can just do it by yourself. Um, and where like your choices procedurally generate story stuff. And I, I'm not sure. I think maybe we just don't have the technology for it yet. We need a couple of years before AI ChatGPT gets merged into this and just builds the worlds for us. Um, I have I was hoping uh, I, this the, was the proto version of it, but it, I don't think it is. Maybe maybe one not challenge, but like uh, one like uh, the first impression that I had from this game was like comparing this immediately to the digital version of Gloomhaven because yeah, it's like Gloomhaven's it's very bespoke though. It is very bespoke, uh, grid based. You're picking character classes and like I've and I guess like I haven't played enough of the Gloomhaven digital version to really kind of grasp if like like does that does that do that kind of narrative generation? It has. I mean, obviously, it has to be different, but does it do it in a better fashion than Wildermyth does, or I is mean, it more like you're following a set campaign with you're like, following oh, a campaign? Is... Okay, like uh, I mean. Speaking as someone who literally knows the people who uh, wrote some of the campaign for it, Joe and Zach and them, uh, like they wrote a lot of those scenarios and tried to make them interesting uh, choices that have like real effects on your characters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, I mean, there are a lot of events, there are a lot of like little path things, but there's not, nothing is procedurally generated. Mm -hmm. It's all, I mean, in, in the same way that kind of like Wildermyth is, like someone wrote all of those stories um, and it's very difficult. I mean, Gloomhaven is a card game as the, you know, the, the paper version of it. It's very difficult to procedurally generate from that. And the, the digital version is just a digital version of it. So I was kind of hoping that Wildermyth would tone back a little bit on the, the bespoke writing and try and amp up more of the procedural generation bit of it. Um, and I think that they didn't. They, they did go more for the, we're going to write a bunch of nice stories and then you'll read them. Which isn't, I mean, there. I'm sure that a lot of people really like that. I know that a lot of people really like that. It's not really what I was looking for, or I'm, I'm I know it's not what Will's looking for, and it seems like it wasn't really what you guys were trying for either. Because in in that first campaign, like we all went through the same steps of like fighting the Gorgon in the barn. One person gets infected with the Gorgon material. Then you go and you find the spear and you got to decide if you want to like keep the spear or leave it. And then you eventually fight the big Gorgon monster at the end. Like that was, that's like the main over, like those are the three major story beats of that first campaign. But I was curious, like what within that kind of set system was different about our experiences between it? Because like, yeah, I had like Will turn into a wolf man. Colin, you were the, you were the, the mage that got infected with the, the Gorgon thing. And like my character got like astral arms and they're all like these little, like the little story things like behind those that happened throughout the way. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is like the interesting difference within that overarching theme. But I don't know, like to what extent that's like, oh yeah, that was the exact same experience Colin had. That was the exact experience, experience that Andrew had. 
Indeed, so I don't you... fully understand how yeah how randomized things are in this game either. And you all got like a jump start on this game before me. And when I got to the point of fighting the Gorgon in the barn, I was pretty bummed out. I was like, oh, man, I thought that was just something that spontaneously happened. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is a set thing. Shoot. So I was kind of I was a little bit bummed. Um, sorry, what were we going to say, Colin? Oh, I was going to say that, uh, you know, I've got Elaine as a wolf woman uh i've got uh andrew as a firearm man and i've got uh scott's original DD character bert as the the beginning (laughs) of the astral man so like you know we've we did definitely have some strong overlap in the random events that happened and perhaps that's because it's meant as like the beginner campaign perhaps no i think it's just random stuff that happens i mean it, I, and i'm sure that well, what i mean stuff. is that if we had all played the third campaign all the way through like maybe mm-hmm. our experiences would have varied more wildly did any of you go so let's see here some one of you found had the cat encounter did mm-hmm. anyone have the like magic library encounter yeah that's the astral so? that's the astral one. Oh, i made the wrong decisions i didn't get no astral arms <laughs> well not yet eventually you got did you get the book yes so then you wait like 10 years and then you're like uh, during the during the downtime they're like yeah get the the proc the quest to go like figure out what the book is about and then you go back to the thing and you uh dance with the dance with the spirits and then you get astral hair and then i'm assuming at some point you get astral arms astral hair interesting interesting i guess i did not pursue that trying to think what other rando encounters i had or seemingly uh you know random events that i encountered uh what about the <laughs> the 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 campsite with the wounded um kobold no i, I that, that. Ooh. i wouldn't i wouldn't know if i did or not i'm just as fast as i can <laughs> well basically it was kind of interesting it was like the decision point is like oh there's this little wounded kobold creature like but he looks kind of pissed off like what should we do and Will your character's like, ah, leave him to die. No, um, I, I forget exactly. But somebody said, leave him be or whatever. But the Scott was like, no, no, we gotta, we gotta maybe take care of him. And so I made the decision to like, oh, spend the night and like watch over the wounded kobold. And uh, for your good deed, Scott, uh, you got like punched in the back of the head by like a bigger kobold creature. And um, I don't know. Eventually, the kobold's parents showed up and were like, hey, what are you, what are you, get out of here, you filthy human, and like beat you up. Um, but I, I don't know, I thought it was interesting. All right, so hey, I, I had one random encounter that neither of us, uh, nobody else had. What? Oh, so Rakanishu, uh, Andrew's hairless cat is on screen now. Uh, and Rakanishu was also one of my characters. Oh, yes, excellent. As like a playable character or as a pet? No, as a person. <laughs> as okay. using the character builder to make I needed a, a cat, the, wrinkly the, the cat Andrew person. character had a daughter and I was like, well, Andrew doesn't have any daughters, but he does have a hairless cat. <laughs> Nice, nice. That is so. outstanding. Yeah, uh, that is, there is a, a sort of a rich history. I think the first I heard of it happening, I'm sure it happened well before this was with FTL, rich history of people playing roguelikes and having to name uh, party members and just picking people that they know. Uh, it, it does add, it is It is very novel and fun. And I'm glad you can do that to such great effect in this game. Great idea, whoever came up with it here on the show originally. Um, I almost to do think it with this game. I almost think that that's like, a prerequisite though because the the main like starting characters i don't know like it's it's something about just like they feel so um like replaceable i guess it's like XCOM syndrome right like you get like an XCOM soldier named like biff and you're just like oh biff died and you're like all right great he's replaced with buff and then you're like oh well he died and he's replaced with bill and like 
if like that character dies, but it was named Will, uh, then I feel like I would be a little bit more attached to it. And so like the one of the first things about this game of like just changing those characters to be either your co-workers <laughs> or, uh, you know, people in your social circle, I think goes a long way in terms of helping to keep that narrative glue sticking. Cause then it's much more about like, Oh, my, my thoughts and interactions, like with putting people in my social circle into this goofy game versus like, Oh, like Ulfric storm cloak, who is now uh, a mage. And he picked up the pickaxe. Like, ah, I don't really care. But when Colin picked up the frying pan to fight that monster, ooh, this is much more juicy to to play with. Um, I did want to ask a, a question to our our RimWorld experts, where like you have RimWorld, which is like basically like no text story going on whatsoever. But like, there's a lot of emergent story things that happen in that game. Like, the, is is that more of what we're looking for out of Wildermyth in terms of procedural stuff happening? Yes, but I don't know how you would get that into this style of game. Like, how do sure. you make the, I mean, like, aside from like, um, um, you know, that the the canvas or the, you know, the, the battlefield essentially like, oh, you move to this location, then the dialogue pops up of like, oh, this happened. And um, I don't know, that that's not exactly what, what you're talking about, like with the style of like RimWorld, like the story is, oh, suddenly like 20 uh, chickens decided to ta- self-tame. Now the story is how the heck are you going to support these 20 chickens and you're going to are you going to like kill half of them or you, and like I don't know it's just like strange things happening um that you just kind of adapt to um and like you know royalty visiting that you accidentally killed because you were shooting at this other guy but they got in the way like this is the kind of thing that like I don't know how you make that in like bring that sort of a, a game mechanic into this format of a game but i might not be creative enough i guess Rimworld, there's more room for chaos which is versus here which is much more on rails like even even ftl pretty on rails in terms of like all right you go here to do this objective all right you you have a decision of which node you want to go to next to do the next objective but like what happens in that like node picking uh and like the stories that fall out of like oh my ship was on fire and you know, I had to like use my rock man to stomp it out at the last possible second, venting all the air out and all that. Like that is that is the story. And I feel like in Wildermyth, like the stories are like well written, um, but they're very much like on rails. Like this is like I could see this being like a good intro into the genre, but I don't know that it's like and it's obviously extremely hard to do. Otherwise, we would see this everywhere. It's procedural story content generation. Um yeah, I don't know. Hmm? Would you want a procedural story? Like if it, all the text that appeared was a unique uh, thing that only you had ever seen, would that make it better? I feel like I want less text. I feel like I want I think that's like universal regardless. Here, well, though. yeah, I feel like <laughs> the, the 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 only you have seen it is irrelevant. It's I want to be able to make a choice and have the world react to it right. in a way that's like a, a strong reaction. It's like I choose you know, you can go with the princess to go here, or you can uh, tell her to stay here and be like, no, I kill the princess. It's like, well, that's not an option. Um, but, I mean, you could do that in D&D. Be like, well, this is going to go off the rails and we're going to go on a real different story now. Um, and like, now the now the story is how the world reacts to your heinous crime. Um, like, I want, I want to be able to make choices and have those choices have meaningful effects. And that's really hard to do if you're writing bespoke stories where you have to like, okay, each branch is two different options. You like, you're 
infinite, uh, you know, 64 branches down, you have an, like an infinite number of stories. We already We already know, Colin, though, that you don't actually need to maintain 64 different, like like Mass Effect, I think, is a really great example of this. I think two, Mass Effect 2 comes to mind. I don't know um, so much about the the other ones. I mean, I, I did play, I think, um, at least I played one. But in any case, like those are stories where your decision matters, but those decisions are like for them, like to some degree independent of each other. And so you can like have a different outcome over here happen. Like this, the thing you chose over here to save the AI instead of the other species, like that impacts this, like one, like or one or two paths, but it doesn't impact everything else along the way. And you don't even actually get to see the impact of this until you like trigger it, like by going to a certain place. And so it, it feels like you can maintain lots of important decisions that feel meaningful, that don't require you to have um, a story that's, you know, combinatorially um, impossible to maintain with how many different branches you can go down. Yeah, but Mass Effect is a giant game that was expensive to produce. Uh, like the, the the appeal of something that's procedurally generated is that you can make as many of those stories as you want on the fly. And obviously we can't do that. It's what I want to be able to do. Bespoke okay. is still going to be better than than anything. Yeah, but, how, but you can only play Mass Effect once or twice. That's I have all you need. done Mass Effect. That's all have, you need, I think. I have right, one but, last. But what if I want another Mass Effect that's not Mass Effect? Colin, the Mass Effect that's not Mass Effect that we've been kind of glossing over this whole time, very, very text driven, but still kind of bespoke emergent gameplay, Warsim. Yeah. Also, I have to, uh, aside here, I haven't actually played Mass Effect. So I don't care about Mass Effect. <laughs> oh at all. my God. Um, I also have not played uh, Mass Effect. What? Is, you guys call yourself gamers and you haven't played? I don't. I I'm don't. I have my, no right to be uh, on this Mass podcast. Effect uh, cardboard standy Commander Shepard's pointed. I've only played the third one all the way through. To be honest, it's it's one of those series where it's like I like I I um admire it more than I actually like it. <laughs> if that makes sense, I don't think. Anyway, sorry, Will. You're the only real gamer here. I, I yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like I thought that was a kind of a ubiquitous like. Oh, if you want the like, this is the this is the game where you get to learn like that. Uh, um important decisions are like done well like they, they, they started that with fable i think was one of the very first games that came out with like your decisions put you on a spectrum from evil to good and like and that actually had some significant impact on like the style of game but this was like decisions were are um they determine your your relationships they determine the fate of species they determine i think there's like like many different like ways the game actually ends but along the way like you know some people will like you and not based on what you've done and some people like will want to recruit you or not based on did you do this mission well enough and i don't know i thought that it, the and the dialogue that you're choosing um i thought that was all beautifully done and about, i recommend uh, that yeah no totally and one would shooters, hope though. that like <laughs> i i would have expected um, uh, Wildermyth to maybe have more opportunities to do that where it's like very clear like oh because I made this decision um, the the effects you know played out in this particular way down the like road. your wolf hands like somehow but like you know you put that into like the grooves on this this uh this wall if we just fit it for your fingers and then the door opens so because you got that thing you can go into the new secret area I don't know I something yeah able... even even something as, as simple as that for sure um <laughs> And uh, well, you know that is that is a very specific example. I didn't have the wolf uh, man side quest, so I got to go explore that after we finish recording because sounds very intriguing. Um, 
but uh yeah also like the witcher comes to mind there's a lot of like specific examples in the witcher series where it's like oh you sided with this person so like you know whatever and like in the witcher 2 i which is probably the weakest of all the games like the second act is completely different based on like what you do in the first one so like those are good Mm -hmm. examples and those are of course as you said colin big triple a games they're like huge hulking like hard to maintain uh, in some cases um products but with Wildermyth, it's got this like streamlined aesthetic and this modular aesthetic. And I would hope, I would have wished to have seen more of those decisions and consequences. Um, they're like meaningful. Uh, and again, you know, just to full transparency, you know, I, I only played like four hours of this game. So maybe it increases, but uh, from Will's experience, it sounds like not so it much. De- it decreases, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I, I did really quickly though. Wanted to uh, chime in on the combat. Uh, I I didn't love the combat. To be, oh no! Specifically, I, I the camera controls I did not oh. enjoy at all. Like I don't want to muck around with the controls, the camera controls that much. It was just like you, you mentioned earlier, Scott, like being surprised uh, that it's a PC exclusive. Based on the camera controls, I ain't surprised. Them some PC exclusive ass camera controls, or it's like I don't need to fine tune it. Like you can, you can handle. It's cool to have that option, but like I wish the automated camera system was a bit better at just displaying the map and the key information. Um, yeah. Anyway. Not great, but not, I don't know. It's not the end of the world. It's not. Well, the Steam Deck review review corner here. Yes. Uh, I was actually pretty shocked at how how well the information was displayed on the Steam Deck to the point where I'm like, oh, it's just using whatever console build they use for the, the game, game pad mappings and stuff. Surprise. So clearly this has been ported to the Switch, right? Right? No. Uh, I feel like it, when this does get released on consoles, it'll probably be a big hit. Because like, oh, this is like a good a good way to get um uh console players like into you know RPG light elements, you know, it's got like a good whimsy aesthetic. It's very um all it's ages at a you know, it's a great it's bus good ride for, game. Yeah, good for the whole family. People aren't getting sliced in half, so you can have like some little kid look over your shoulder and not be like trying to hide it from them on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we wanna do we wanna transition into our rankings? sure let's let's go mine's pretty short uh for me this is a 7 out of 10 game uh i didn't um especially like love playing it it was kind of it was a little bit of a grind at times but from like a game design perspective and like the design goals and everything i i admired and i think that you know for some people uh the combat is clearly you know more engaging uh but uh as we established in uh with the last spell uh like turn-based combat i need to be like fast and furious and like super engaging and so that's that's mostly a me problem but anyway yeah seven out of ten um i think it is a cool game and uh manages to um nail a few things uh that i have not seen nailed before specific top space of like the whole tracking the enemy and as as you move the enemies are moving and like it feeling kind of like a an ongoing living campaign is very cool and the late and the the like legacy um elements are neat as well and maybe they can be sort of filled out a bit in future <laughs> additions to the game or maybe a sequel who knows well unlike andrew i'm gonna rate it a seven out of ten <laughs> um no i've i i mean i think i have uh i've rated rated it the same but for different reasons um i wanted it to be 
I, I was pleasantly surprised with the combat. I enjoyed it more. I had no problems whatsoever with the camera controls, but I use CAD all day at work. So I'm just used to like weird camera controls all the time. Um, like I thought the combat was pretty good. I was expecting it to be just mediocre and I thought it was um, well, like when the difficulty curve was at, like when you were crossing, I thought it was pretty well balanced and there was enough interesting options on how to how to lure people back or or you know interact with the enemies um however the reason i wanted to play this game was because i wanted it to be that story calm and i just kind of found the stories to be the, the stories were fine but they were too self-contained for what i wanted them to i wanted them to be D D. I mean, that's really what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be procedurally generated um, and like truly interact with the things that you've done with the characters, um, but it really just would slot them into the archetype of, you know, here's event this, which person gets to speak based off of like which they're the most score and then it plays out the scene. Um, and I wanted it to, you know, I wanted every scene to like change their alignment or make them, you know, oh, I hate, I hate Gorgons now because they killed my friend in this battle like i wanted it to be a little bit more dynamic and it, it, it wasn't that um mm. maybe it will be in the future maybe maybe Wilder myth too so i mean unlike colin and andrew i'm gonna have to give it a seven i think uh <laughs> 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 no that's that's uh that's what i had on the list here um yeah i i i agree uh colin that passes your recommendation threshold i it i, I think it it does it, it barely it makes it over i mean yeah it's I, and and the reason is I think very similar to Collins, which is I think the combat was actually fun, like that I, I I didn't have to complete the second campaign I think to like review the game, but like I wanted to like I opened the game up and uh, I'm like you know what this is um this is fun um the actual progression system of like the abilities um synergizing that with the equipment that you're getting and the, your play style it felt uh, rewarding and I, and I like XCOM style games in general. Um, this sort of like a turn-based puzzle is like uh, these, these beard scratchers as they're known. Um, I, I don't need that fast paced combat in order. This is actually much more my, my style. And uh, so I had fun with that. Uh, I just really couldn't give it, couldn't care less about the uh, the narrative. <laughs> and that was just way too much of it. The, the narrative, the overworld, um, really if they would have tied it together with like i mean if you think about xcom it's just like it is that fight scene like interspersed with like just something to kind of like feel like the, the you know the town experience and so if they just had a different town experience hmm. uh maybe that looks more um more like um uh what's that what's that game you just referenced the uh, storm the something of storm i forgot the name of against it. the storm against the storm right like where in the town setting you're like buying all the things to upgrade your your your, your town maybe you're buying things to upgrade mm -hmm. your city maybe you're actually like creating good and like oh we're gonna build a a windmill over there and we're gonna do this and then like no, you're 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 talking about the last spell i guess oh, the last right, spell yeah. we wanted to play in the future oh yeah sorry that's the one yeah um it's like windmill <laughs> but uh anyways i so it was fine um seven yeah as good as cold of the lamb makes sense well unlike andrew colin and will no way i am gonna rate this game a seven <laughs> point <laughs> eight oh. three Oh my, what is Wait, this? What? No, that's too many decimals. You couldn't have done us the courtesy of doing 7.7? .7? Come on. You're not that precise. I'm just going to be real with you. Well, <laughs> too many significant I, figures. If I did a 7.7, .7, I think like the, the floor on my ratings for this game is Grifflands. And I think this game is ever so slightly better than Grifflands. I like the aesthetic of Grifflands more. 
but I think Wildermyth is more, um, it feels like it's more succinctly put together. It's more streamlined for sure. Um, I think for what Wildermyth is trying to do, it, it succeeds at it. And I think that that thing that it's trying to do isn't necessarily for everybody, but I liked it. I, I liked getting into the campaign and just like, like lurching into the couch and just like storybook paging next page, next page. And like, it, it didn't feel, I mean, yeah, there, it, there was like a lot of next paging and there was a lot of text, but it was like a nice um, kind of experience just to like wind down with. Um, I think the music was, was really good. Uh, maybe if a little bit repetitive, they have a, a live performance uh, version of the, of the soundtrack coming which I think like that that will probably help a lot with this game. I think the like the soundtrack is is good, but you can you can kind of tell that it's sampled. Um, uh, yeah, I so said the plays really well on the Steam Deck. Uh, the story beats I thought were fun and interesting. Putting characters that you know about in there made for a, a fun experience. I'm kind of I'll be curious to complete maybe like one or two more campaigns to see how that legacy content rolls through and if it's just like how cookie cutter is it. Um, but yeah, I thought I, it was surprisingly fun for not really knowing much about it. So, uh, so yeah, I think on our aggregate rankings, that's going to drop it in at our 16th out of 38 games that we've ranked just behind risk of rain, uh, and just ahead at one slot of Griffland. Um, that seems about right. It seems like Grifflands and this game, I think are kind of like two different sides of a coin in some regard of narrative driven roguey question mark experiences um, with like totally opposite aesthetics. <laughs> uh, but some other games like Wildermyth, I guess like we kind of talked about Gloomhaven. It's not really quite the same style as similar. It's definitely, I guess Gloomhaven isn't really roguey per se, but um, see previous episode, Invisible Ink, uh, Into the Breach is kind of similar from like grid-based mechanics. I guess it's more puzzly, but like overworld stuff to some degree. Um, SteamWorld Heist is kind of similar from like uh, like the 2D art perspective, inkbound with uh, it's, it's kind of grid-based tactical stuff. Um, Renowned Explorers, International Society looks kind of interesting in terms of like whimsy graphics and grid-based combat. Uh, check those games out. Those those seem interesting. All stay tunes for sure. Um, what are we playing next? Well, before that, uh, yeah. So so write in email grogpodzone at gmail.com. You've heard all this stuff before, but I get I'm contractually obligated to do it. People, this sure. is what the people want. We have to interrupt our very important section for the preview. Uh, Mastodon grogpod at gamedev.plays and grogpod.zone is the website. Okay, now as one story ends, another begins. We turn the page on. Wildermyth to come to Andrew's pick for our next episode. All right. Well, uh, this next game, I hope y'all are ready for some first person in person uh, <laughs> uh, on site medical treatment. That's right. We're getting committed to the FPS rogue experience known as Nightmare Reaper. Uh, to quote uh, various uh, other people who have reviewed this game, it's good. Um, <laughs> I've, I've delved into it a bit, and I hope you all enjoy it as well. Uh, I think there'll be an interesting discussion to be had about how roguey or not is it, but, ooh, you know how I love randomization, and there's a heck of a lot of randomization in this first-person shooter. So, buckle up. Just looking at the uh, Steam trailer, this one is probably less um, uh, bus appropriate. <laughs> <laughs>
Colin, are you saying a grappling hook chainsaw and uh, pixelated blood and demons are not just like friendly? I'm looking at it? Just like the first thing is just like a woman with blood on her hands, and then it shifts to just like blood and gore exploding as you're like chainsawing through things. Looks fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, playing us out from this episode will be some nice, relaxing, uh, non blood infused death metal tunes. Uh, stay tuned uh, for next episode for that, but some nice, relaxing, uh, deep string cello synth vibes uh, from uh, from Wildermyth, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>